Hello and welcome to Better Under Pressure. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe, author of The Shed Method and founder of Coaching Impact. And in this podcast, I talk to leaders from all walks of life about being better under pressure and using pressure for better. I want to explore how we handle pressure in a world that is becoming more and more complex, the impact that that pressure has on our ability to perform at our best and what we do to be better under pressure. I took a massive step up. I had a promotion where I moved from London to Singapore to run a business. Okay. At no point intellectually, um, I realized that I was under pressure. My body told me I was. Intellectually, I'm that person that enjoys taking on the challenge mm-hmm. and will just give it a go. I always saw challenges as opportunity, excitement, you know, a, a, a time to learn, a time to shine, a time to thrive. Yeah. And I landed in Singapore for this big new shiny job. I landed on the Thursday to start working on a Monday and on Friday morning I woke up and I couldn't walk. Today I'm talking to Miriam Cooper, who has worked all over the world leading and shaping creative businesses. A customer-centric entrepreneur at heart, she's launched, run, reshaped and grown successful businesses in France, the UK, China and Singapore. Miriam trained as a professional dancer in contemporary dance in Paris, specialising in the Martha Graham technique until that career was cut short following unsuccessful knee surgery. Following that, she dedicated many years to Essential PLC and, more specifically, to Cannes Lions, the organisation behind the famous film festival, where she worked across a range of executive roles, leading teams through organisational transformation and change. She's currently Managing Director of UK and EMEA for the Marketing Academy. She's a tireless champion for creativity and its ability to change people, organisations and the world. In this conversation, she shares the power of detangling emotions from facts, her non-negotiables when it comes to putting herself first, and why her body decided to take her out of the exciting promotion awaiting her in Singapore. Miriam, thank you so much for joining me on Better Under Pressure. Pleasure, Sarah. Always a pleasure to see you. Likewise. So, do you remember when you first experienced pressure, Miriam? So... The word that catches my attention in your question is remember, because I think um, my background, where I come from, means that there was probably pressure from a very early stage in my life. Um, But the first time I remember it was one of those big career moments when um, I took a massive step up. I had a promotion where I moved from London to Singapore to run a business. Okay. And what's really interesting about that moment is at no point intellectually, um, I realized that I was under pressure. My body told me I was. Say more about that. I'm, that's, that's a great start. Let's go. Uh, so your body told you you were under pressure. And do you think it, so just, just, just tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so I think I intellectually, I can take on the world. Intellectually, I'm that person that can 
take on a challenge and joy is taking on a challenge mm-hmm. and has the great luxury of not um probably thinking things through very much and we'll just give it a go without probably measuring um where where too much is too much now that's not quite the case today but back at that moment when i do remember that first real signal of pressure mm-hmm. um i would just not really think about challenges in challenge in, in a challenging way i always saw challenges as opportunity excitement you know a, a, a time to learn a time to shine a time to thrive yeah um and i landed in singapore for this big new shiny job um and i landed on the thursday to start working on a monday and on friday morning i woke up and i couldn't walk my uh back had given and so the idea of taking on a, a brand new shiny job kind of took a real twist and i was actually in in a wheelchair for a few weeks for how long um uh, maybe a month and you'd had no back problems up until this point no i i, I have had back problem history okay um and that was a real physiological mm-hmm. issue i'm i'm a a trained as a professional dancer okay um mm. yes and um and when i transformed my life and landed in corporate my body you know i did not quite understand what was going on That's, um that, that's interesting in itself though isn't it because I have a lot of people on this podcast who have excelled in sport or excelled in some way physically in their life. And I you know I put dancing to the level you you, you I mean you you I know that you dance at quite a high level. So I mean and I'm a dancer so I understand that you know you, you really do know your body when you dance in a way. And some people have said that actually the physical strengthening of that sort of practice outside or for years when they were younger enables them to to deal with this sort of pressure in a corporation but you're saying like your body needed to totally adjust yeah i think there is a well there's a there's a lot to unpack in what you've just said and actually the you know the thoughts are flying in um I think there is a, a real physiological adjustment from dancing six hours a day to being sat at a desk. There's just the yes. reality of that. Um, mm. And then I think, so the reason my career stopped was an injury. Um, and I think we all have various journeys with drastic change, and especially when it comes to having a dream yeah. um, that gets uh derooted um and so i think there was a lot of emotional um attachment to no longer having that career 
And so I think the notion, interestingly, the notion of choice, and I don't know if in the context of what you're explaining for your previous guest, there there was a a path that was uh, led by choice and some good awareness and good consciousness of the next step forward, um, which would absolutely give the discipline, uh, the strength, the ability to push on through, um, which would make a corporate life successful. Mm -hmm. My path was slightly more chaotic uh, <laughs> in the sense that I... Um, I fell into corporate, you know, I, I and I and I didn't and I I was very young. So I I I blame it on the lack of wisdom. Um but um but yeah, simply my my body just didn't react very well from going from exercising to not. And did and, were you, when you were promoted though, presumably you were you were already in in the in in the same organization but just in a different part of the world, is that right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It was just a big jump. Yeah. It was a very big jump in um in the type of in a type of role. Um. And um. But that subsided, and I and I and I was successful at that role. Very successful. And uh, and it 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 is one of the highlights of my career this far. But it was the first time I, I, you know, I can, as I was thinking about our conversation, obviously, I thought this was the moment where I can pinpoint where pressure was glaring. Yeah. I think it's this understanding of one's body to know when pressure has gone from the way you described it earlier on is about shiny, exciting, new opportunity, opportunity to thrive, all of what. I believe pressure can really bring out of us when it's when it's in a in a in the right shape or in the most useful shape for us or or it's incrementally go, going up so that like any muscle you're stretching it and it's getting stronger as a result. It, it sounds to me from what you've just described that the jump you, you described it a jump isn't it interesting how we how we use the language that that reflects um, the physiology but you you literally jumped into something that was bigger than potentially the muscle could stretch to or you or, or your body felt it could stretch to. Yeah, and it's interesting because again, I go back to the notion where the reason why I say my body is the barometer is because intellectually, yeah, um, there isn't it for me. Right. Or they, they, at that point, there wasn't. Um, so by that, actually, Miriam, do you mean that in terms of a problem or or something that your your mind can get around, can solve, can you're smiling, so I'm assuming it is something like that. That that feels like you could that there's nothing that you can't at least want to get your mind around in order to solve it. Is that what you're referring to when you say intellectual? Yeah, it's interesting because the reason I'm smiling isn't because you're reading my mind and you know me so well. It's because actually seeing you do that movement with your hand 
brings <laughs> such an excitement. So yes, absolutely. For okay. me, um, for me, I go from that. I go from um, a conversation leads to opportunities, and I want to do that. You know, I want to do <laughs> yeah. the unpacking and. I'm a creator. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm a creator. I love creating. So, I, you know, above the eyebrow, yes, it is all positive. Yes. Now, clearly, sometimes we bite more than we can chew. Yes. Um, and and that's my path. I've, I've, I've often, you know, I, I. After my dancing career, I packed my bag. I moved to London. I couldn't speak a word of English. I didn't know anyone. And I just kind of go, it's fine. It's going to be great, you know? So you, that's just uh, probably a character trait. And I'm I'm not so much like that these days. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but, uh, but even but, in that description, that could have been very pressurizing for many people, couldn't it? I mean, the idea of coming as a young person to a new capital city, not speaking the language, could you could, if I, you know, in answer to the first question, which is, you know, when do you remember still, you know, first feeling pressure, that could, that could actually be um, something that many people would relate to. Well, that, that's precisely that's why I didn't choose that example. Yeah. Because again, and I can only speak of my experience, even today, so the, the the journey with health is a is a long and and quite bumpy ride. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I go back to the you know remembering is that at the risk of kind of repeating myself, I don't see things as dangerous and pressurized. Mm. And I and I get I guess that um, again we all we all forge um, methods of yeah. living through from probably in vitro onward, um, and so mm. I think I had great capabilities, um, or at least perceived great capabilities. Yeah. Um, until my body went, mm, are you sure about this? Yeah. You know? And took you out to give you a, a month or so to think about it. Yes, but you you don't always listen. So I didn't listen. I didn't listen. Yeah. I, I, it's just like, you know how you have themes of the day? Like today, this is such a theme of my day today because... Um, I, I woke up and my back has got into, into, into spasm this, this morning. Um, and this is because I'm flying on Monday and I'm trying to do more than one, two, three, sometimes four things, you know, which you think I'd know better, but I'm caught up in, I've got caught up into, into doing, behaving like that. Um, and my back was twinging yesterday. I should have listened to it. This morning it goes into spasm. And then this morning, my daughter, sends me a text saying, mum, I've got tonsillitis. And she and I both, that's the other thing that my tonsils are a big indicator. They just give me, they give me a little sign. And, and I said, oh, 
at what point are you in the tonsillitis journey? Because I'm very familiar with the tonsillitis journey. You know, I, I, do you need the antibiotics? She said, yes, I saw and felt the white spots on my tonsils yesterday and the day before. But you see, this is what, and, and so I found myself texting to her saying, it's important we begin to listen and hear the signs that our bodies give us, particularly when they're patterns. And I, 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 I'm just interested, I suppose, because it's top of mind today around pressure and the body talking to you about when it, it when it's liberating pressure and when it's actually pressure we need to just take a moment around. A, I'm certainly not a good person to have a back conversation with because, you know, it, it can become quite scary quickly. So I hope yours is better. <laughs> I think... And sometimes it's a cop out of mine when what I'm about to say. I think it's 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 a human condition thing, where we've also um, very much dissociated our intellect and bodies yeah. in our society. Right? It's it's the mind body connection is kind of a fairly recent thing. What you are describing to me is, you know, a, a couple of days of not listening. I think it's 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 pretty acceptable. I took it way way further. Um, yeah, and uh, and I paid the price. But eight years ago, I I started a, a journey with one of my now most wonderful friends who I met as a coach. And she said to me, you know, Miriam, when you when you hear a knock mm-hmm. on the window and you're not listening, the the knock gets louder and louder and louder. And then one day there's a brick that goes through that window. And so, you know, I guess there is a lesson for all of us there, which is at what point do you stop and listen? Yes. That also assumes that you were given some signals before your back packed in. And in hindsight, I know we're just talking about this one isolated moment at the moment, but it was where you went with the with the question. Um, in hindsight, looking back on it, were there signs? Well, that's the wonderful thing in, you know, hindsight is a beautiful thing. Um, it's interesting because looking back on it today, I have a real, I can have a quite harsh uh, relationship with this story of mine and I can do a bit of a blaming game of God you did not listen and I wouldn't recommend that because that doesn't really lead anywhere today I I read that there were some signs clearly back then I I, I think no I, I didn't see them I mean you know if I had known that my behavior would that's life right (laughs) but also I think what you're raising for me is that it it had worked for you up until that point you know you'd been very successful you you know you you had blossomed you'd you'd performed you know in a way that felt all of those words you used to to describe it earlier on it so it's it's clearly had worked for you so why would you well at that point what's interesting well there's a there's a slight nuance there I think working for me is an interesting one because it worked in the sense that it gave me you get a lot of reward right by being that person so you then feed on that yes and where you are 100 percent right is that 
the behaviors that at one point became limiting got me to where where I was. Did it truly work for me? Mm-hmm. Would I change it? No, because I'm the person I am today because of, of it. But it's been an interesting ride, you know? Yeah, and have your has your sense of reward, so you use the word reward in that, has your sense of reward as a consequence of this incident in Singapore, has your sense of reward shifted? It, it took a, a long time and it took a, a journey and it has absolutely shifted today, yeah, 100%. For sure. what, would, what would you say reward was in response to dealing with the pressure prior to the back incident? Well, interestingly, this specific in, incident in Singapore, I did a total overriding of it and I carried on and I carried on and I carried on and I carried on and I carried on. Uh, not, not because of the reward, but it, it was really inconvenient. You know, th- this back pain was really in, in the way. Yeah. It was in the way of of my, what I had decided that I was going to do. And what I had decided I was going to do is to run a super exciting, successful business in Asia Pacific, regardless of anything else. Mm. Completely undermining my nature because I had decided that that was a trajectory and because the feedback was supporting that, of course, you know, I performed. I was a, I was a great, I delivered. I always delivered. It's higher, it's bigger, it's better, it's on to the next right. thing. It's, um, and, and that's reward, obviously, specifically in the, in the context of a corporate career. When Miriam said, above the eyebrow, it's all positive, it reminded me of a favourite line of mine from James Joyce's story, A Painful Case. I actually quote this in The Shed Method. Joyce wrote, Mr Duffy lived a short distance from his body. How often do we lead with our heads, bow to our intellect and fail to listen to the barometer of our bodies? I was so struck when Miriam said, my back pain got in the way of what I decided. I wanted the reward of external validation, higher, bigger, better. The point Miriam makes about the power of the reward feels important to emphasise here. If we're not careful, it becomes a habit to ignore the bodily signals because the pull to keep pushing, keep achieving, to get the reward, whatever that might be, becomes greater. And if we fail to respond to the gentle knocking on the window from our body, we run the risk of this brick crashing through. What it's raising for me is the power of connecting to the head and the body equally. When we can use both as sources of important information, we can be in a much better position to choose how we react to any pressure. If we fail to notice the signs our body gives us, the body will often take us out. This has been really front of mind for me this year because I developed an autoimmune condition. And not only has it forced me to listen to my body in new ways, it's also made me aware of my relationship with it. When Miriam said, I have a harsh relationship with my back and can run a blaming game, I hear her. It's forced me, this immune condition, to to work in tandem with my body in a new way, to have a different dialogue with it. Previously, I would have said, right body, I'm feeling the need to keep pushing through to get this podcast edited or work on this talk. Hope you're okay with that, because here I go. Now I say, right body, I'm feeling the need to keep pushing through to get this podcast edited or work on this talk. How do you feel about that? Up for it? Now I genuinely stop 
ask and listen to my body's response. And I'll generally know if I'm pushing for better or pushing for worse. If, unlike Mr. Duffy, you were living no distance from your body, what would it tell you? What are the signals that you know matter? What do you feel about the statement, we can be better under pressure? Um, I still want to do that as much as I did back <laughs> then. I just have a much better sense of working with my absolute true nature. And it took me, and it's, it's actually, I can't talk in the past because it will be forever uh, until the, the, you know, the last breath. It's a journey and it's, it will always be a journey to really be fully attuned with who I am. And it's exciting. It's super exciting because we're multifaceted beings and that discovery feels really exciting to me. I certainly still very much prefer that environment. It's, um, it's something that works well for my nature. It sounds, from what you're saying, pressure is, is very attached and in a line and a friend of who you truly are, your, your, your nature. Yeah. So, so how do you now manage the, the, this, <laughs> the excitement and the sort of, oh gosh, yes, there's more to do and I really want to be part of it and I want to grow with it. That's what I'm assuming this is with pressure. How do you now manage that pressure to stay there and not to tip into damage, actually? It's a fine art. It really is a fine art because it took me many more back incident, quite intense back incident to understand it. And I, I, we all know that we don't get it right all the time. And I am perfectly imperfect <laughs> and, and I fall off and I, you know, I get back up, but it's absolutely starts with me and nothing else, no one else, no people, places, things. There isn't people, places, things that really can get in the way from, from my health because I, I have through quite challenging situation understood that without our health, We've got nothing else, right? Yeah. We all know that, and it's it's a it's a beautiful concept until it's threatened, and yeah. then it becomes a, a, a new reality. As I said earlier, it really was getting in the way, and it's only a very recent long episode that really, and you know, touch wood. I hope that I will not have to revisit, but uh, it's it's taken. Second, me, a very long time to listen to to my body to the point where now my nervous system is quite badly damaged and and I am in chronic pain. But yeah, it's it absolutely starts with me, and there is a lot of personal accountability. There is a lot of negotiation, you know, internal negotiation on a daily basis, because again. It's in it's impractical to me. It's really impractical. I'm sure. I've got shit to do. You know, I've got places to be. You know? <laughs> um, 
So how do you do that, Miriam? Because I have many conversations with people about the pressure of one's health, the pressure of managing and living with one's health and still blossoming and still developing and still learning in whatever you choose to do. When you say it starts with you, what have you learned from this that now have become habitual things that you do and actually you don't compromise on because they are fundamental to this relationship between you and your health? Practical stuff? Yes, practical yes. stuff. What's non-negotiable for you now? Non-negotiable is a, is a beautiful concept. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> in theory. Uh, so in theory, <laughs> there is just very clear um, spiritual, physical, intellectual components. And I need to take care of all of them on a daily basis. Physically, I have to exercise. Um, that's just, and, and that's pretty much, it's potentially the most non-negotiable because right. I know that if I don't exercise, I, I'm in danger of, of feeling pain, mm -hmm. but I, you know, I'm a trained dancer. So movement is a, is a beautiful thing for me. Yes. Um, it, it's also quite a challenging thing because having, you know, been able to perform at a high level and, no, being a little bit less. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. One of the uh, most impactful commodities that I have is that I journal every mm. day. I'd like to pretend that I am, I am one of those people who do the morning pages. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with Julia Cameron's The Artist Way. Um, yes. I don't. I don't do three pages of, of kind of conscious download uh, every morning, but I do journal and I can pinpoint the moments where I, I have stopped. And if I pick it up again and I look back and I look back that there's been three, four days, I am not surprised that my balance is off kilter. So it's one of the most powerful tools that I use. I meditate pretty much daily. I trained in TM, Transcendental Meditation, a few years ago. I can't pretend that I do twice 20 minutes. That would be another little lie. And I read and I nourish my, you know, I nourish my intellect. Mm -hmm. On a beautiful day, I'm one of those 5 a.m.ers and I go for a swim or I go and do a bit of weightlifting and I write and I, you know, do all of that. And then I crack on with the day of work. That's the practical stuff. And that's been an experiment, has it, for you to work on what ones actually make a significant difference to, to you managing the pressure of your body's vulnerability? They've been, they've been with me for, um, for many years. Hmm. There's been all sorts of other commodities that have kind of entered my life and left and mm. those are the ones that have kind of stuck around for long enough to just you know clearly be important i guess i'm a lot more diligent and and um consistent with it and i i certainly don't want to um operate from a place of fear but there certainly are a bit of a crutch and they're, they're tools they're tools that work for me yeah yeah now you're working I am. Back in. Back in. Back in. Um, pressure moments when they hit in, a, in your day, like they do for all of us, particularly 
when you're a senior leader like yourself. What happens, and and, and this is really um, has been part of many of our conversations on this podcast, is when that pod, when that pressure comes in unannounced, what do you do when you've done your foundations, you're in work, and then you hit moments of pressure? How do you make sure they stay in that bucket of, right, we can, you know, the intellect, what you're calling the intellectual embracing of that? I absolutely make space. So I create a moment of space between the stimulus yes. and my reaction to it. And how do you do that? Oh, give me a specific. Can you share a specific example? Because I think the more specific we can get on this, the so better. It would be something that lands in your inbox that uh, gives you that that pit in the stomach kind of feeling where you're like, oh, oh shit, right. We need to, you know. I'm very now aware of adrenaline. Yeah. Right. And so when I feel adrenaline rise, that's the first signal that I need to make a cup of tea, go and walk around the block, step away from the computer, mm-hmm. step, just create some space physically, specifically, just to choose. Choose what you are going to do with that moment of um, of pressure. It used to be so important to me that I was reactive in a, in in a second, yeah. I because know. I thought that was what performing, yeah, looked like, yeah. And I see it. I see it around me all the time. Yeah. And and look, I I also really want to. I, I need to say it for myself. I'm not saving lives on a daily basis, right? like calm down people so I create space because really in all aspects of my life actually not just at work it's not what you have to deal with it's how you deal with it Mm -hmm. that matters right Mm -hmm. and the only way I can deal with it in the most graceful Mm. wise uh, smart way is by actually creating that space that will enable me to make the right choice to react the way I want to react. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a fiery, feisty individual and I'm a strong being. And so if I don't create that space, I armor up and I'll go for the fight. Yes. That's my default setting. I, But interestingly, it goes back to this, this right? It's like, yeah. right, let's get in there. This whole thing of strength, when you push your strength too far, they they become negative aspects, right? And so it's about being able to be fully conscious of who you're going to show up as. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was in Singapore and um, the first year, so I used to work for an organization that run really, really large scale events for a specific industry. And I had an amazing colleague of mine who would come and help me for a little while. And, you know, the, the closer you get to the event, the, the, I mean, the pressure comes from everywhere, all the time, global organization. My chairman was in Sydney. My team was in London. I was in Singapore. I mean, you can work 24 hours a day and it comes from everywhere. Yeah. And I love, you know, I love this. <laughs> yeah. um, 
and he used to say to me, right, we're going to go, we're going to go and have a walk around the block. And I used to be like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? And I thought he was nuts, you know, I was like, and I, I would not give that advice. Um, mm. Pretty, you know, pretty simple. I'm, I'm sure most people listening to this will will know that. But um, what's what's interesting is that I really, I really, really carry that in most of my daily interaction with the world. Yeah, and, and I was going to say, you know, sim- simple isn't necessarily easy. You know, it's like no. common sense is not necessarily very common. You know, it's those it's those old adages about we know it, <laughs> whether we do it or not is it, it is questionable depending on the circumstances or the or the pressures around us. So I think that the discipline of of choosing to step away in order, and I love your combination of um, graceful and wise. Um, you know that that's useful, isn't it? To know that I need to to buy that time so I can choose to be graceful and wise in my response. It's still a conscious response, and I really like your distinction here around a conscious choice because I think it's not always about being calm, but no, it's no, about no. choosing the energy that you want to bring to it. 100%. And if you don't step away, you can't be in control of the choice you make. So I, that's what I loved about that whole thing about you know you can get fiery. I can get fiery as well, but I've learned through the years that I have to make a choice to be fiery. If I allow my fire to flame <laughs> without me controlling it, I'm less effective. Absolutely. It might Absolutely. be cathartic, but I might create all sorts of damage around me. So I really, I really love this distinction around a conscious choice. It's not necessarily always calm, and it may not be that you're always graceful, but you might always be, con- you will always be conscious about what you're choosing to do. Yeah, and, and the situation might require to be the fiery and the decisive and the strong and the sometimes abrupt. Yes. You know, mea culpa. Yeah. But again, precisely what you're saying, it needs to be a, a conscious decision. Yes. So how do you manage other people around you who are not making that conscious decision? How do you help lead other people through these pressure moments? So I, very early on, help my my team understand that they can absolutely lean on me and count on me hmm. i will have their backs no matter what because usually when when the pressure is too much and and there is an uh, a not so productive reaction it's it's fear based right yeah. it's 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 out of control it's fear it's it's not being comfortable in reacting as long as my teams know that when they feel and and they've got their own journey you know I can't I'm not their consciousness and I'm not their uh, their god but as long as my team understand that I'm available any at for anything absolutely anything and I had this conversation with someone on my team said, oh, I, w- I was going to ask you that, but I thought you might think that I was being too pedantic. And I just said to her, if you ever stop yourself coming to talk to me because you're making assumptions about what you think, just n- no, 
because that's the muscle you build in the muscle of trust mm. and at some point it's an ev evidence-based yes. exercise it's like oh when was last time i experienced this oh we did this you know and 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 you can replicate it so it is very much about support mm. and about lessening the fear shrinking the fear Mm -hmm. You know, I um one one other and and it's not very specific, but one other thing that I use a hell of a lot at the moment is making sure that I place things, anything, in their absolutely right perspective. So we're very good at telling stories, and mm -hmm. I work in you know I work in the marketing industry, and our brain is very very good at telling us all sorts of stories yeah and in that space part of the exercise is to really make sure that i place what is happening in this absolutely true perspective no stories what is actually happening here and so i i tell my teams how to do that and we do that together how do you do that how, how does that include emotion i mean how how do, how do you do that? Well, because emotions are part of the story. Yeah, I looked. I, I looked at facts at that okay. point. Okay, you know, it's the whole data thing. Okay, completely void of emotions. Right, completely void of emotions. So so okay, let's just stick with this because I th I think this is interesting. How do you manage or help somebody who is feeling something, or a team that is feeling something? And and ask them to put that aside and let's look at the facts. If emotions aren't heard or felt or listened to, they have a fantastic ability, a bit like the knocking on the window you were talking about, of becoming a brick. So and, I, and you know, when as a teacher working with very challenging young people, often if I bypass the stage of understanding their feeling or listening and not necessarily agreeing with their feelings, but giving their feelings a bit of space, if I bypass that stage, they would revert me back to the feeling. I'm not ready. I'm coming back. No, you don't understand this. You don't understand it. And you get more of it. And I think the same is true of adults. I sort of want to be held in some moment, at least, of understanding of what I'm feeling before anyone tries to shift me into something that isn't that. I'm just I'm just curious around how you do that as a leader, Miriam. I think that it's about untangling the two. Okay. So I'm certainly not saying that I refuse to have emotional conversations. I mean, I'm I'm a very emotional being, but I. I untangle the two because I, th I think as soon as you're able to recognize your emotions for what they are, which is often, again, nothing really to do with people, places, things. You know, it, it's, emotions are deep inside of us and they come from often a, a far back and I, I absolutely believe that we need to verbalize them because I truly believe that the body holds a lot of that otherwise but I think if you if you manage risk of you know the risk of repeating but if you manage to again create a bit of space but actually even just kind of separating the two 
and potentially having two different conversations. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's park. Let's park the, the, the pressure point right now. Yeah. Right? And we're going to look at that in a minute. Tell me how you feel. Just tell me what's going on. Yeah. And actually, often, in my experience, I think that often it becomes clearly apparent that those two really are not really that that linked mm-hmm. you know? because if you feel really sad because um that customer didn't come back to the business or you know if there is a a sense of sadness and you talk about that it it will bring out other. Th- I think it often brings out other things, and then at that point you can go right. So let's yeah. kind of look at the data. What's yeah. happening? What are we going to do about it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of untangling the two. Yes. Yes. I I, I hear that. Yeah. And I you know I talk a lot about choosing your mood. Absolutely. Which I think we can. We've all got the capacity to choose it. It's just how do we choose it? And I think this is what's interesting about these conversations is people have different ways of that of finding that place of choice. And I'm, I really love what you're saying around this sort of decoupling of I'm feeling this, but the facts are telling me that, or, you know, I'm feeling this and the facts are telling us this. Again, I go back to the, the beautiful ability that our brain slash egos have to, um, the embellishment yes. is staggering. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden, that person didn't smile at me this morning. <laughs> oh my God, I must have. Do you remember when actually we had this conversation and she must have overheard and that's why she's not smiling? <laughs> like, yeah. shit, now I feel scared. Yeah. Why do you feel scared? Because I'm fear, I, I, I fear of judgment and I... And then all of a sudden, the whole she didn't smile at me is is no longer a thing, you know? Yes, and we're we're wired to do that, aren't we? We're wired to uh, to anticipate a threat more than we are around anticipating something brilliant coming down the line. Yeah, I mean, I I had I, I had this specific moment with myself this morning. I could I could sense myself being in look looking for danger, looking for the looking with for what was going to come next there's not, nothing you know that's that's just a, probably another and we're not we're not all wired the same way let's 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 face it no but of course it's it's, it's also habits isn't it i mean i i right. absolutely believe that we can choose a new habit it just takes a little bit more effort so if you're used to something your dialogue your narrative what you say to yourself you know is more it's more practiced so, you know, if you're if you can notice, I mean, bravo for noticing that you've you've got you are off off on something. Well, and, and that's the starting point, isn't it? Is that you you can't create a new habit until you have identified that you have a habit. Yes. It's no longer working for you, right? That's again the, the consciousness piece. Yeah. piece. yeah. And and but that that's what I mean as well about the, the forever journey is that yes. we're full of them. You know, we're, we're full of those things that at some point served us beautifully yeah. and no longer do. Yes. And I, and I guess there is probably 
a moment between the moment they stopped working and the moment you realize they've stopped working. Yes. Well, certainly, it certainly has been the case for me. Yeah. And in a way, life kind of gives you opportunities to realize that they're no longer working until for you know for you to realize that so i i find myself on certain topics we you know we all rehash patterns until we realize oh crap there's not that's no longer what i need to do about these things so what can we do when we realize that an old habit or pattern of behavior just doesn't work for us anymore Miriam's already highlighted the power of self-awareness, that moment when we notice that something that worked for us in the past is no longer effective. But that moment of self-awareness, although it's vital, is rarely enough to create a shift in our habits. I call it the no-do gap. I know what I need to do, but I don't do it. We have to make a conscious, intentional effort. We can't undo a habit, but we can build a stronger one. It sounds tough, but actually it's easier than we think, especially when we can connect the habit that we want to build to something that really matters to us. I had a huge wake-up call to the need to build a new behaviour with my own children. <laughs> Nothing like our children to teach us about ourselves. My children are now in their 20s and they've had to remind me on frankly too many occasions that when they're sharing a struggle or when they're feeling something strongly, they don't necessarily need me to offer advice or to try and fix it, unless of course they ask for it. This was really hard for me. When they were young, it's what I did. So I had to focus on actively shifting my response. I still don't always get it right, but I've worked on it. I've really worked on it. It's worth the effort because meaningful conversations with my children really mattered to me, deeply. First, I had to ask myself, what is the new skill that I want to be better at? The skill was to pause and resist the urge to jump in. You'd think I'd know better being a coach, but your children are a whole different ball game. I then had to practice. Doing it once wasn't enough. Also, having someone to support me was invaluable. My husband shared my journey and my children would let me know in no uncertain terms if I was jumping in to fix again. So here's a small habit rhyme, which I talk about in more detail in the book. It aims to help us remember the essential elements of building a new habit when we need it. Whether as a leader, a friend or parent, the same stages apply. Will, connect to why it matters to you. This is a massive magnetic force for change. Skill. Identify what's the behaviour that you want to be better at. Drill. Drill it, repeat it, practice it, keep learning. And then find someone to support you, cheer you when they notice that you're doing something different, or to nudge you when you don't. <laughs> they can be your Phil or Jill. Well, I had to make it rhyme. <laughs> so, in summary, remember the habit rhyme. Will, skill, drill, Phil or Jill. If there were people here listening to this with particularly a pressure of health or a pressure of an injury or a pressure that, you know, has been quite severe and they that's possibly the biggest pressure point that they're living with. You've now gone back into work. You, you know, you, you feel like you've really done some big work, Miriam, around this in terms of how you know your relationship specifically with you and putting yourself first and leading significantly in an organization that is, you know, growing and fast and, you know, has high ambition. What would be two things that you would offer that you would pass forward to those people to better manage that pressure? It's so interesting because Obviously, we had talked about what we were going to talk about today. Yes. 
And I thought, oh, I think I want to talk about listening. But I was thinking about that back then in a completely different way. Um, And now I, I want to say listen, but in this actually listen to yourself truly deeply listen and actually that extends right that extends to not listen but oh yeah but what's okay yeah so what's for lunch really uh or what do i have to do next what's the next call uh yeah sorry back you know really listen yourself and others be really present and we all, you know, I think we've got something like 82,000 thoughts a day, right? It's like they're coming. They're coming for us, right? <laughs> but that's not what I'm doing right now. Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you. And I find that I thought I was a great listener because we all think we're amazing listeners, right? And then when you start really paying attention in where those thoughts are going, mm-hmm. what well, I have a hell of a lot of work to do. And for me right now, there's there's just one thing that I have to do is to listen to my body, but to listen to what you were describing earlier, the very, very, very first signs. Because my nervous system is completely out of whack, yeah. I have a very short window uh, of reaction. Yeah. Because my, my nervous system goes from zero to 100 in pain yeah. very quickly. So I've, I haven't got much choice but listen. Um, yeah, and, and also you're making me think of a moment when you and I were talking, Miriam, around something you were about to do that had high, high um, imp- potentially high impact. And I think you had you made a throwaway comment like, um, "But I'm worried." My, I no, no, you didn't say I'm worried. You actually said, "I know that my back is going to give me right." Problems. Right. Right. And I can, I can remember saying to you, can you, what did you just say? Like almost like holding you to what you just said to your body. Yeah. Yeah. So and what I is you afterwards? And yeah. I said, Sarah, I did that thing and my back didn't hurt. Yeah. And I, I think that, that to me is, is, is at the heart of what you're saying around that listening, because we're saying, as you say, we're saying things to ourselves all the time so as well as it's about being present with others what how I'm interpreting what you're saying rightly or wrongly is truly truly listening to what you're saying to yourself right yeah absolutely and I imagine that journaling when you said earlier that was one of your non-negotiables is part of honing that is that right is that is that is that a right assumption that's part of it absolutely um because Again, if if the way to yourself is to listen to your thoughts, then you know we're it, it's challenging. What comes out on paper is different, for sure. It's a noticing. Yeah, it's an it's to notice. You know, no judgment. I mean, I'm French. You know, it's it's a it's the national sport judge, right? So, but. Uh, you know the 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 really passive noticing of things is also just a really caring way to listen it's it's yes okay this is this is happening cool yeah you know? yes so listening is definitely um one and 
take things with a pinch of salt, really, truly, really. Does it really matter? Mm. Does this moment really matter? Mm. Are you going to remember this moment in five years' time? Mm -hmm. Are you going to remember what is happening right now in five years' time or on your deathbed? Or are you going to laugh at it because, or have you forgotten? You know, does it really matter? How important is it? Yeah. I, I ask myself that a hell of a lot because I take things very seriously. And how important is it is a wonderful question. It's not always easy for me to answer because I'm quite serious and I'm quite intense and I take things very seriously. Mm-hmm. So, but of course it's important. But really, really, are you going to, you know, are you going to go, oh, fuck, I wish, you know, in five years' time, are you going to go, fuck, I wish I really didn't do that thing? Yes. The likelihood is that you will not remember that moment. I will absolutely remember this moment with you, Sarah. (laughs) But, you know, I think that's a really wonderful question to ask yourself. And what I love about the important bit is you're putting like the importance is like, are you going to lie on your deathbed and really worry about that moment? I mean, it's like because important has it almost needs a set of what what defines important. Your definition is is. Are you going to care when you are lying on your deathbed that you did that? Whereas if it's something that is, you know, impacting other people or, you know, then then, then it might for be. Sure. For sure, for sure. But I, I think most of the time we show up right for others. You know, it's with ourselves that we're the hardest. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think there are many people in the world that wake up and go, do you know what? I'm going to be an asshole today. No. You know? People want to do good by others for others most of the time. It's yeah. with ourselves that, you know, we're often the hardest on. Yeah. And certainly, again, my experience, it is. I'm, I'm the hardest on myself. And so the whole how important it is, is often the conversation with myself again. And is it in relation to your body, your your health? In how important is this to look back on? Is it worse? So I'm thinking like there's a pressure moment. It's almost like you're doing some sort of trade-off. It sounds, as you're speaking, it's doing some sort of trade-off. It's like, okay, it is worth the effort, the extra effort that's going to be required of me to do this. If on my deathbed, I can, I can, it's going to be with me. As a good- yeah, I mean, I, yes. But also I go back to the fact that if I don't have my job, I still have my friends, my home, my hobbies, my, you know, if I don't have my home, I still, you know, if you don't have your health, it doesn't matter yeah. that all of the other things are in check. You've got nothing. You're done. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's the priority. It's been so lovely having a focus of health actually at the heart of this because yeah, it's 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 a different conversation when it comes down to something as vital as one's health. And clearly, it's uh, it's relevant to your day to day. Yes. Right. But obviously, that's why we were meant to speak today. Absolutely. Thank you, Miriam. Such a pleasure, Sarah. It always is. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Better Under Pressure with me, Sarah Milne-Rowe. 
If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and let us know what you found useful or what you'd like to know more about. Our aim is to share as many examples as possible of what people do to manage pressure for better. If you're interested in any of the practices mentioned, check out my book, The Shed Method. Alternatively, you can find us at Coaching Impact or me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Better Under Pressure was produced by the fab team at Smart Cookie Media. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, goodbye.